Well, good morning, everyone. <laughs> Celebration Sunday. So glad to be with you this morning. Thank you for being here. Today we're going to continue our series in Kingdom, the story. And stories are powerful. In the mid-1800s, Harriet Beecher Stowe wrote a novel called Uncle Tom's Cabin. It was a story about the African-American slaves. And what it did was it brought slavery home. It made it personal for the American people, so much so that it stirred them up and was a very contributing factor to the Civil War as the North fought the South in over slavery and freedom. When President Lincoln met Harriet Beecher Stowe, 10 years later, a decade later, he said to her, oh, you are the little woman who wrote the book that started this great war. Stories are powerful. They move us. They change our thinking. They cause us to act. And they don't even have to be real. In 1942, Disney released an animation called Bambi. How many of you have seen it? Okay, not everybody, but I'm sure you've heard the name Bambi. It's a story about a white-tailed, cute little deer, innocent. I mean, it's like a grandchild. You have to fall in love with him. And he's got these cute little friends, Flower the Skunk and Thumper the Rabbit. If you can't say something nice, don't say nothing at all. And um, they, they're just so lovable. And he's from a very regal family. His dad is the prince of the forest, but as the story goes and you fall in love with him, his mother is shot and killed. Just an animation, right? Just a cartoon. Bambi pulled on heartstrings, and when they did studies in the years that followed the release of that movie, they found that deer hunting reduced by about 50% in the United States. <laughs> the story was powerful. Ralph Lutz, who wrote in The Forest and Conservation History, said it may be more people have consciously or unconsciously based their understanding of deer and woodland life on Walt Disney's Bambi. And of course, Disney has this powerful marketing machine. But he said, Bambi has become one of our most widespread and emotional, powerful national symbols of nature, one that motivates deep concern and dedicated action to protect wildlife, all because of story. We are talking about a story this morning, and we've been doing so for several weeks. It's kingdom, the story of the kingdom, and it is a powerful story. And it's a story that presents itself not as something that is fictitious, but something that has entered into our history. It happened. And if it's true, it gives us a narrative as to who God is, what he is like, the most important questions that you and I can have, although we may bury them deeply in our subconscious, they are there. Who is God? What is he like? Who am I? What is my purpose? And how do I respond to God if he, li if he, if he lives, if he's true? This is a story that mu we must respond to because it projects to claim on our lives our purpose and where we should be headed. So I'm going to summarize it briefly in case you've missed a few of our scenes. So here's a scene select. We started in scene one with kingdom pattern. And we saw that God is good and he created humanity because he, he loved us, he values us, and he gave us a purpose. To Adam and Eve, he said, uh, be blessed and multiply, fill the earth. And so they were given this task as co-rulers with God, like little kings and queens under his rule to create family, to create culture, tend the garden, that they as image bearers of God would reflect in a greater and greater way throughout the world that God rules and God reigns in this place. Right from the start, kingdom pattern. 
They were given all kinds of freedom except for one thing. Do not eat of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. And so given the choice, rather than choosing to submit their lives to God, they chose to go about it their own way. They disobeyed, and we know what happened as a result of that. Separation from God was introduced into their world. Death and violence. This was the kingdom perished. This is why we see so much mixture in our world today. This is why we see good, because we were created in God's image, created to do good, created to bless one another and fill the earth that way. But we also see evil. We see that we have fallen away from God. And so people in their goodness can raise $10 million for Humboldt, but at the same time, in our humanity, we see an, uh, uh, just an unimaginable evil where we release chemical weapons on people. There's good and evil. The kingdom has perished. It's not what it was intended to be. And as we read the biblical story in Genesis, we see that the cycle of humanity is getting darker and darker and darker. But God is a plan. God is a rescuer. And so we saw in kingdom promised, he calls a man and his family, Abraham, who will become a nation. And the plan is that God will bless them to be a blessing to the nations. Through him, through his family and the nation that's going to come after him, all the nations are going to be blessed. But we see that their story is inconsistent too. It's littered with failure, repeated failure, And they choose, like Adam, to go their own way rather than God's. The kingdom is only partial, and we see that especially as they get to King David and then King Solomon. The kingdom is only partial, and it actually breaks into pieces under the grandsons of King David. So God at this time sends his representatives to the people of Israel, to his called blessers, and his prophets speak warning to them that they should turn back to God. And when they do, the prophets encourage them. It's the kingdom prophesied. And the prophets also speak of another day, a new day, a new rescue with a new king that that will one day happen. Kingdom prophesied. And then it's quiet. It's quiet for 400 years. And then he comes. Jesus arrives and announces, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom is here. He was God, but he took on humanity and he limits himself to walk among the human race. He is the new Adam. He is the son of David. He is the one who has come to rescue. He's everything the prophets have spoken about. The time is fulfilled. Jesus is here. The kingdom is present. And Jesus excites the masses. If you've read any of the, his historical accounts in the Gospels, what he teaches, what he does, the miracles, the, the deliverances, the people are excited that this could be the one and he's going to bring the rule except they turn on him because he doesn't turn out to be the kind of king that they wanted. Instead of forcing his rule, he submits himself to the rule of the people of his day Submitting himself to the Father, it takes him to the cross where he suffers and dies. And in so doing, he becomes the one who absorbs all the judgment of God for all the rebellion of all humanity for all time on that cross. He takes all that blackness on himself and dies. Kingdom present, the life, the death of Jesus Christ. 
In every great story, there's a plot twist that you didn't expect. No one expected that the coming king, the promised one, the son of David, would die for his people. It's like one of those magic eye images where it was there all the time. If you, read, if you look back now and you look into the Old Testament, you can see it everywhere. It was there all the time. The coming one would have to die for the sins of his people first. Then he would reign victorious. And so it was with Jesus. He had to die for the sins of the people, but it was inevitable that he would rise from the dead. So where Adam failed, Jesus completely succeeds. He submits himself to the will of his father, and as a man he dies a death for the people. And as a man he conquers over Satan, he conquers over sin, he conquers over death. And as a man he rises victorious to be raised to life and seated now, ascended to the right hand of the father. Kingdom present, the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension, Jesus so Jesus has risen from the dead. He appears to his disciples, and it says in Acts chapter 1 that he talks to his disciples for 40 days about the kingdom of God. Then he tells them to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit. And then before, he, before their eyes, he ascends up into heaven. And the disciples are in wonder at this is going and how, how this is going. And the angels appear and they say, just as you have seen him, disappears so you will see him come again. Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, everything changes. We are told in the book of Revelation there'll be no more tears, there'll be no more crying, there'll be no more sin, uh, sin, there'll be no more presence of evil, there'll be no more suffering. All that we've hoped for, our wildest dreams, cannot measure up to the good that God has for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the plans that he has for us. But we live in this age where the kingdom of God is breaking in, but it is not yet in that fullness. That'll happen when he comes back. So now Jesus is there at the right hand of the Father, but he's not sleeping. He's in the command center. And he's commissioned his people to take this message, this news of the blessing of God's kingdom, and take it to the world. And this morning, as we look briefly at the, at the early church in the book of Acts, and you can go to Acts chapter 4, we're going to see how they pray for the kingdom, they speak the kingdom, they demonstrate the kingdom, and they live the kingdom. Acts chapter 4, we'll start in verse 23. Think about this. If you are here today and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a follower of Jesus Christ today because someone before you took the great commission that Jesus gave his disciples seriously. People do not come to faith in Jesus Christ in a vacuum. God uses people to share the story with other people so that they can make a decision about Jesus and believe. And if we had spiritualancestry.ca and we could, you know, do the, do the search, it would take each, each and every one of us back to the first century church and to the believers there who most of them at great risk to their own well-being shared the good news of Jesus Christ with someone else who believed it, shared it with someone else who believed it, shared it with someone else who believed it, shared with someone else who believed it. And here we are today, 2,000 plus some years later, 
having the privilege of coming into a relationship with Jesus Christ and tasting his kingdom in part now with this incredible hope of a future that God has for us. So let's see how they started. In Acts chapter 4, Jesus has ascended and the early church has experienced the empowering of the Spirit. In Acts chapter 3, they have healed a lame man at the temple and it's caused a whole uproar in the city. They're threatened not to talk about Jesus anymore. So here's what they do. They begin with prayer. They pray the kingdom. When they released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed it says in the book of Acts, it can be considered to be the answer of God to the prayers of his people. The work of the Holy Spirit as he responds to the people's prayer to God. Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come. And as the church here has been threatened, they gather together and their first recourse is to turn it back to God in prayer. And what do they pray? In particular, they are praying Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2 is a royal psalm. It talks about how the people rage. They come against God. But God says, I have set on my hill a king. And the people understood that king's name is Jesus. They are praying that God's rule and his reign as seen in Jesus Christ would be demonstrated in the earth. Father, your kingdom, it must come. They pray the kingdom. Secondly, they speak the kingdom. Verse 29. And now, Lord, upon their threats, and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. We saw last week in Matthew chapter 16 how Jesus asked his disciples a question. Who do you say that I am? And Peter responds and he gets it right. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus tells him he's blessed. It's been revealed to him by God. And then he tells him, on this rock, Peter, I am going to build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail. And he says, I'm going to give to you the keys of the kingdom. You're going to have authority to loose, to open, or to bind. What does that mean? Where did that happen? Well, we, we look at Peter's life after the Spirit's been poured out on the, on the early church, and we see what he does. He proclaims Jesus. As people in Jerusalem are, are wondering what is going on here and people in the church are spilling out with joy and praises and people are asking, what has happened? People, Pe Peter proclaims to them, Jesus. He opens the door. He has the key. It's the proclamation of Jesus for them to either receive or to reject the message that through faith they can enter into the kingdom. And on that special day, about 3,000 people give their lives to Jesus Christ. There are more and growing followers of Jesus. There's lots of things we can talk about in our day-to-day -day life as we're spending time with people, uh, the easy ones, the weather, sports, relationships. Do we talk about Jesus? Do we share with other people this hope that we have in Jesus? See, when I speak to another person about Jesus, I'm, I'm giving them an opportunity. I'm opening a door for them to come into a living relationship with Jesus Christ. The, the church asks for boldness in that. Can, can you relate to that? I mean, 
They asked for boldness. They knew this isn't always easy. For them, it might mean the loss of livelihood. It might mean the the actual threat of personal harm. And for us, sometimes it's just the fear, the fear of being rejected. I received an email recently from uh, a woman who's just really excited about the fact that she had stepped out courageously to share with someone that she was working with about the hope that she has in Jesus. And she reminded me about a conversation we had had a while back where we had talked about 10 seconds of courage. Just 10 seconds of courage. Sometimes as we're, we're with someone and we have a faith in Jesus and maybe they don't and you can feel your heart beating that this is just the right time to share with them the hope that I have in Jesus. And it takes 10 seconds of courage to just step into that conversation. We can ask a question like, you know, we're, we're good friends. Have I ever told you what is so important to me, the story that's so important to me? Boom, 10 seconds of courage and you enter into that. Hey, can I share with you what's most exciting to me in my life? Boom, 10 seconds of courage. You're into that conversation where the the door can be open for them to come into a living relationship with Jesus Christ. As the church prays for this boldness to speak, they have a full intention to carry out the commission that God has given to them. They want to pray it. They want to speak it. They're also asking for boldness to demonstrate it. Verse 30, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So in the beginning of the story, we saw how God created the world out of his goodness and things are good. He says it's good. Then we see how sin entered the world and it brings all this destruction and death and sickness. But when Jesus comes, when he announces that the kingdom is here, he says the spirit of the Lord is upon me in Luke chapter 4. He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Remember, the Lord is good. So what Jesus is saying, when when his kingdom comes, I'm going to reclaim all the negative. I'm going to reclaim all the evil, healing, deliverance. This is going to be part of my ministry. I'm going to start to restore things back to the way they should have been from the beginning. Later in Luke's gospel, Jesus liberates a man who can't speak because he's demonized. And and people are all upset because he's done this. But the man can speak now. And Jesus says to them, if I, by the finger of God, deliver this man, know that the kingdom of God has come to you. Ken Blue, in his book, Authority to Heal, said the physical miracles of Christ are not merely symbols of his kingly authority, but part of the essence of his kingdom and the means of of its advancement. Every time a believer prays for someone and God touches them and they're healed, every time we do an act of justice where we alleviate suffering, we are reflecting the goodness of God and the way that his kingdom is. You cannot look at the life of the church. You cannot look at the ministry of Jesus and not see that healing is a regular, continual part of that ministry and of the proclamation. Bringing goodness We pray, we speak, we demonstrate, and lastly, the church lived the kingdom. So God responds to their prayer right there. Acts 4, verse 31, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. God answers 
Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. In God's church, when God's spirit comes and and the kingdom of God invades their lives, there's not only power to do miraculous, but there's also power to live differently, to live distinctively. You know that the kingdom of God has come when people look for the needs of others as more important than their own. This is what Jesus modeled for us. And the church is beginning to live that out. The rule of Jesus, God's kingdom is being evidenced. Pray, speak, demonstrate, live. And as the church does that, the story multiplies. It goes viral. So we skip a little bit forward in this story in Acts, and there's this dramatic conversion of a man named Saul, whom we later understand, we know him as Paul. His worldview is completely upset as God reveals himself to him, knocks him off his feet, and Paul's life has changed from a Christian hater to one of the great church leaders. God shows that he is a rescuer and a redeemer. So you might be here this morning and you think, wow, if you only knew that the bad things that I have done in my life and how many times I have failed God, God chooses Paul, I think, to show that his grace has no limit. He can take one who's persecuting his church and turn him, rescue him back to himself. And so in Acts chapter 13, Paul is in Antioch, that's in Antakya, today close to the Mediterranean, just north of the Syrian border. Uh, He's chosen by the Spirit along with a companion. The Spirit said, separate apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. That's Acts chapter 13 in the beginning. And then over the next two chapters, we see this account of the Spirit of God working through them as they go from place to place to place, speaking the kingdom of God. So they enter a place of worship in a different Antioch. I know it's a little confusing, but there's more than one Antioch. They enter a place of worship in a different Antioch, and they tell this kingdom story. If you, if you read it, it's, it's amazing. They tell the kingdom story. They go all the way back to Moses. They hit the high points, Moses, David. Then they get to Jesus, and they talk about his death. And then, of course, they talk about his resurrection, that he's the one that was prophesied all this time, the coming one. It says in verse 48 of, of chapter 13, and when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. It's going viral. So they don't stay there. They go to other places. And and, and wherever they go, this message is going viral. Acts chapter 14, verse 1. They entered together into the Jewish synagogue in, in, in Esconia today. It's in central Turkey. And they spoke in such a way that a great number of Jews and Greeks believe. Wherever they go, they're proclaiming the message. Some believe, some don't, but it's going viral. It's multiplying. So what do they do? They retrace their steps through these cities, and then they go back to the Antioch in which they originally sent out from, and there they rehearse before the people all the good things that God has done. They celebrate. They celebrate what God is building. And that's really what we're doing today. We're not just celebrating this physical building It's part of what God is doing, but we're celebrating what God is doing among us. He's building a people. And this building here is just to facilitate for us to pray, for us to speak, for us to demonstrate, for us to live the kingdom of God, whose king is Jesus. Jesus 
is up there ruling. He sent his spirit to extend his rule through us down here. He has said, I will build my church. I'll give you the keys to the kingdom. It happened then, and it's still happening today. At the end of the book of Acts, we see these words, speaking of Paul under house arrest. Uh, He doesn't have an electronic ankle device like they would have today. He's got chains. He's chained to a Roman guard, but he's been able to stay in a house that he's probably chosen with some of his friends, covering his own expenses. He's had much worse imprisonment than what he's in right now, but it says this of Paul at the end of the book of Acts. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So at the end of the book of Acts, it ends not with Jesus coming again, but with with the Apostle Paul continuing to do what he's always been doing ever since Jesus got a hold of him, proclaiming Jesus. See, the kingdom of God has come, but we are still living in the age in between. It's going to come in its fullness, and it has come, but the fullness is not yet. Jesus is coming, and in the meantime, we have a story to live. We have a story to speak. We have a story that has transformed our lives, will transform our city, and will transform our world. If you have noticed in the foyer over the last few weeks, there's this progression that we've often shown on our screen from the beginning of the kingdom story to its end. From kingdom pattern to kingdom perfect. And in that storyline, we have inserted some of the history of Central Heights Church in there. No, we are not part of the Bible, but we are part of the story. And Jesus hasn't come again yet. So we have a mission to fulfill a commission that Jesus has given us that we are part of. Today is Celebration Sunday, and yes, the building is part of it, but only as that is connected to the kingdom story, the good news, the gospel, Jesus. I'm going to bow my head in prayer. I invite you to join me. It's a simple prayer. Lord, we just want to come before you today And we want to proclaim that Jesus is king. And we praise you, Lord, for this amazing story that we've sung about and heard about today. And we pray, Lord, that Jesus and the story of what you have done through Jesus, Father, would be viral in our own lives and through our lives for the glory of your name. Amen. I invite you to stand with me. We're going to worship in song.